For millions of years, the Colorado River flowed from high up in the Rocky Mountains all the way down to the Pacific Ocean, spilling into the Gulf of California. But not anymore. In our final installment of our series on the Colorado River, we reached the end of the line, the Delta. Yeah, I mean, there's something about a river meeting the sea or not meeting the sea, right? The idea that a river should reach its end. Mm -hmm. It's like if one of your veins didn't reach the heart. Mm -hmm. And thinking about how we caused that. The transition that has taken place in the Colorado River Basin is astounding. The Colorado River Basin is in its 23rd year of a historic drought. This is a full-on five-alarm fire going on right now. We know this system is taking everything from us, and it's not going to stop until we stop it. This is the end of the Colorado River here. It's where the Colorado River would meet the sea if so much water wasn't taken out upstream from here. For decades now, so much water has been diverted to cities and farms that the river usually disappears shortly after it gets into Mexico, miles before it reaches the sea. But then last spring, water flowed into parts of the Colorado River Delta again. It was very impactful seeing the dry riverbed and then this very small stream of water coming full speed. That flow was part of an ongoing agreement between the United States and Mexico to release water into the Delta, and it's spearheaded by a few environmental nonprofits. But can this effort to restore some of what's been lost in the Delta survive the crisis on the Colorado River? I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, Essential News. From the LA Times. It's Friday, February 10th, 2023. Today, we travel to northern Mexico to witness a moment of hope and to understand how much more still needs to be done. Our guide throughout this series on the past, present, and future of the Colorado River has been LA Times water reporter Ian James. Ian, welcome back. Thanks, Gustavo. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about where the Colorado River starts, with snow up in the Rocky Mountains. And now we're at its historical end, which is supposed to be at the sea, right in the Gulf of California. But it hasn't quite made it there for decades. Yeah, no, it doesn't make it to the sea anymore. All the water is taken out upstream, and for many years, the river has seldom met its end. We're crossing uh, through the border now. Uh, some gates here, we're just going to go through here. So to better understand what's happening there, I went to the Mexicali Valley last spring with my LA Times colleagues, Albert Lee and Lee Cinco. Turnstiles, here we go. And we parked on the U.S. side of the border in Calexico, and then we walked across. On the other side, we rented a truck that would allow us to go on some of the dirt roads in the Delta. We were only briefly in the city, and then we headed out into the countryside. Somebody have their seatbelt off? And we're driving through farmland. 
we were on a mission to see these areas where water was starting to flow into the delta again. Yeah, what's the story behind that water? Well, the U.S. and Mexico over the past several years have had this agreement to work with environmental groups and release some water into the delta to try to help a bit of this ecosystem come back. The delta used to be this flourishing ecosystem, more than two million acres with lagoons and forests. But over the past century, and especially over the past several decades, it's completely dried up as the water's been taken out upstream. So all of that ecosystem has been largely destroyed. The goal of this, what they call a pulse flow of water into the delta, is to try to bring back pieces of that ecosystem that was lost. Hello again. Um, I wanted just to see what the plan would be for today. I mean, we've... Gabi Gonzalez Olimon of the Sorna Institute is with one of the environmental groups that's working on these projects. And she took us to a couple of habitat restoration areas and other parts of the Delta. So we're going to do the first part up here where the gate is. Uh -huh. This is one of the main gates. All this water is flowing directly to the river. What are we seeing here? Where is this water going? So this is another of the restoration sites of the Raise the River Alliance. And this is called Chauce. It looked like this wetland with a forest next to it. Beautiful spot. Hmm. So this pulse of water that's part of the agreement, I'm trying to visualize it. Is it like a wall of rushing water that just fills up the dry riverbed immediately? Or is it more like a small trickle that slowly but surely just soaks the entire area? Well, I actually didn't see kind of the front of the water as it came down the riverbed. I understood from others that it moved rather slowly and took quite a while as it spread out from this wetland area to go down the dry riverbed and finally make its way at high tide to the estuary. But what we saw was we saw water rushing out of this large canal and cascading down into a wetland. It looked like a, a rushing stream. And from there, the water slowly moved on toward the south. I think it's important to mention that the river was almost dead for so many years. And right now, this is an historic moment. Gabi told us that she hopes to help people better understand how the heavy use of water upstream has dried up most of the Delta. For me, it's important for people in the U.S. to understand where their water goes. And also how she and other people are working on bringing back pieces of what was once this amazing flourishing ecosystem. But this agreement to release water back into the Delta is just one small part of the complicated and fragile relationship that Mexico has with the Colorado River. Coming up after the break, how Mexico is dealing with the crisis on the Colorado River. So Ian, this joint project to release water into the Delta in northern Mexico, has that kind of cooperation between the United States and Mexico ever happened before around the Colorado River? It's happened a couple of times before, and actually the biggest release happened in 2014. 
That was this huge pulse flow that brought back a flowing river for about eight weeks. It was an experiment to see what would happen, and that water flowed all the way from the border to the Gulf of California. And then in 2017, the U.S. and Mexico agreed to do these smaller pulse flows. And over those years, environmental groups have been involved in managing the restoration sites where there are wetlands and forests in the areas where water comes flowing in. The plan is to keep doing these smaller releases of water over several years. So how much water are we talking about? It's actually not a lot of water that's getting released. Last year, it was about 35,000 acre feet, which is actually less than 1% of all of the water that Los Angeles uses in a year. But it has a big effect. And these pulses, they're happening at a time when the Colorado River is in really bad shape. That's what we've been talking about these past couple of weeks. And for the most part, we've been talking about the situation in the United States. But I'm curious, how's Mexico dealing with this crisis? The water shortage affects Mexico, too. Mexico gets 1.5 million acre feet of water, which that was part of a 1944 treaty. But as we've talked about, climate change is having serious effects on the river. Higher temperatures have been compounding the drought and really drying out the region. So that reduces the flow of the river. If you see it from the air, it does look something like a, a scar on the landscape. And Mexico last year had to cut 5% of its total water allotment. And this year, that's going up to 7%. So Mexico is in the same boat as the United States, so to speak, when it comes to the Colorado River crisis, basically overuse slamming into climate change. But I would think that in Mexico, these problems are probably graver. I mean, the United States is a bigger country and a richer country, and it's right up in the north, and they're the ones who get first dibs for that Colorado River water. That's right. If we look at how the river was divided, northern Mexico does get a lot less water than southern California or Arizona. On the other hand, Arizona is being required to cut back on a much larger scale so far because of the agreement that exists among the states. And actually, Arizona, because it's dealing with such a major cutback in water is actually talking with Mexico and looking at the possibility of desalinating seawater on the Sea of Cortez, helping to invest in a plant there and then move some of that water to Arizona. In Mexico, the crisis means farms will need to adapt and farmers probably will need to upgrade their irrigation systems and possibly switch crops so that they're using less water. As for cities, they're talking about needing to recycle wastewater and needing to turn more to desalination. Both of those things will require significant public investments from government. How has the crisis changed the Colorado River Delta, or even before that, like, what has people's overuse of this resource for the past 100 years meant for the region? A century ago, it was this amazing, giant wetland. I wish I could have seen it, but it helps to read Aldo Leopold, an environmentalist, who described it in his book, Sand County Almanac, as a hundred green lagoons. Wow. He talked about the vast forests and giant flocks of birds and other wildlife. It was just this thriving place and the Colorado River flowed all the way to the sea. But it's not like that anymore. So standing here in the Delta, the ground is hard and crusty. It's like a salt crust. Now the river disappears into sand in northern Mexico. 
and in this salt crust, there are little, uh, little clamshells from the last time water was flowing here, I guess. It's this area with long stretches of dry riverbed that meander through farmland. Once the river stopped reaching the Gulf of California, how were the people who lived in the area affected? Well, drastically. I talked with people who have traditionally depended on fishing in the Delta, and that's become harder. My, my grandpa and his sons used to fish. Yeah, they were poor, if you want to say it, but they had a river, they had fish, all the fish they could eat, all the lobster and shrimp they could eat sometimes. We met Angela Melendez. She's another person who works for the Sonoran Institute, and she works as a geographic systems coordinator. She's flown a drone to photograph the restoration work. Let's do this technology. Mm-hmm. Her family came from southern Mexico and moved to a home right by the river. She said her grandfather fished. For survival. And then they saw this big, 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 big boats just coming in and getting tons of fishes. And her mom used to swim when she was a kid. The river was so strong that it used to, like, collide and produce a very big wave. And then people just knew it. People just knew, like, hey, I viene el burro, decían, careful, because it's going to bring a whole we were standing, talking, looking at a part of the river where water had refilled a swimming hole. Just a few weeks earlier, it had just looked like this dry ditch next to the road. And she talked about what her mother said it used to be like. It made her emotional. She was young and with her family and just maybe excited for the next years to come. But everything went down from there. And when our environment is, is degraded and hurt and exploited, that translates to your life too. You think you don't, you don't matter because your town doesn't matter and no one cares. And then, well, we're like, okay, but we're going to care. We're going to do our part. More after the break. Ian, the water that was released back into the Colorado River Delta as part of that agreement between the U.S. and Mexico, how did it change the natural landscape that was left there? Well, over the past couple of years, biologists working in that area have seen plants just shoot up along the river channel where the water flowed. They've spotted about 120 species of birds. And at a couple of these habitat areas where there's water year-round, they've actually been seeing beavers swimming around. Oh, beavers are always cool. Yeah. Oh, this is beautiful. Cabello. Now we're paddling in. I took the opportunity to go kayaking with Eduardo Blancas. He's the restoration coordinator for the group uh, Restauremos El Colorado. And uh, next to the wetland, there is this 
kind of a wide pond. It spreads out next to this forest of cottonwoods and willows and mesquites. We're hearing birds. Beautiful spot. And all these trees have grown into a tall forest. Just over the past several years, they planted these trees. And I just saw a fish jump. It looked like a river again. And how were people feeling about all these changes in the Delta? The people we met by the river and the wetland, they said they love it. One farmer has set up a snack bar and umbrellas where families can come and relax by the water. There were these shade structures and a pedal boat and kids were playing in the water. We started seeing families here, families from the nearby communities coming down here with small children who have never seen the river. So that was their first contact with the Colorado River. Gabby mentioned how it makes her really happy to see families coming to the water and getting to know a river that several years ago didn't exist and they didn't know. I loved that moment. And Angela talked about bringing her mom back to see the river. She said that would make her really happy. I can't explain it with words. <laughs> I never can. Words are hard. Both of them said they plan to continue doing this work because they think it's important that the Colorado River be allowed to flow through these areas. This is what we work for, reconnecting the river and the ocean. So these are the days we enjoy the most, I think. Yeah, it's great to hear about this bright spot on the Colorado River and what's otherwise been a pretty dark and gloomy journey. But what's the reach of this agreement between the U.S. and Mexico to continue releasing water into the Delta? Is everyone going to see dramatic benefits from just this little bit of water, these pulses? It's hard to say. It is a relatively small amount of water. The environmental groups have some water rights that should enable them to keep sustaining these wetlands. But with the severe shortage, everyone I talked to agreed that it's going to get harder and it's going to be challenging to bring back flows for the environment in the Delta. We went out to a town called El Indiviso, which is near the estuary, and we met with Hilda Hurtado Valenzuela. She's a member of the Kukapa indigenous community, and she's president of a Kukapa fishing cooperative. She explained that in her lifetime, the area has changed dramatically. And she told us that fishing is part of their culture, but that without water, there are far fewer fish than what she once saw. And she also talked about what she'd like to see as far as a solution. She said that just a little bit of water would go a long way for her community. It's so poignant to hear Hilda talk about what the Colorado River has meant to her community. I mean, 
that's the overarching theme of your series, Ian, the people who depend on the river. And yeah, there's tens of millions of folks who rely on it to drink and bathe and farm and all of that. But then there's people for whom the river is part of their identity, their livelihood. And for them, less water doesn't just mean literally less water. It's also a loss of who they are. And there's any way around that at all. That's exactly right. And that's what we wanted to do was to go inside this water crisis and see how it affects people. The Colorado River once was and could again be this living river, but it's been treated as a water supply to develop and use to the maximum. And so the river has been totally used up for a long time. And you see that visiting the Delta in Mexico. What's changed over the past two decades is that the river's big reservoirs are now three-fourths empty too. Yeah, again, we're at this moment where we need to make drastic changes to how we live in the West, and we need to make those changes pretty quickly, like now. But at least this time, it seems like there's an opportunity to be much more inclusive and smarter about how we go about it. Yeah, I would agree. Even in the midst of this crisis, there is hope that the people who make decisions about how the river is used will be able to make major changes and do things differently. Because really, our water future and the future of the river will depend on learning to live within the river's natural limits. Finally, Ian, you've taken listeners from the headwaters up in Colorado to now the Delta in Mexico. It's been just such an education to me and all of our listeners. So thank you for that. But if there's one thing, one thing that you want all of us to remember, what is it? One thing. I would say something that a Mexican environmentalist said stood out to me as important. He said it's a water revolution that needs to happen. And I think that seems right. The way the river has been used and overused just won't work anymore, especially with the climate crisis. And it may not be easy cutting back, but people will need to find ways to permanently adapt to this drier climate and a smaller river. reality at the end. Ian, thank you so much for this journey and for this conversation. Thank you so much, Gustavo. That's it for our special series, Crisis of the Colorado River. Find earlier episodes on your favorite listening app. Kasha Brasalian and Denise Guerra were the jefas on this episode. It was edited by Hasmina Aguilera and Hiba Lorbani. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Series theme music composed by Mark Nieto. Thanks to everyone who worked on Crisis on the Colorado River. Just some of the names. Albert Lee, Carolyn Cole, Brian Vanderberg, Monte Morin, Molly Hennessy Fisk, who's now at the Washington Post. We miss you, Molly. Gina Ferrazzi, Louis Cinco, and Sean Green. The Times is produced by Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasali, and David Toledo and Ashley Brown. Our fellow is Helen Lee. Our editorial assistants are Roberto Reyes and Nicholas Perez. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our executive producers are Hasmina Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Hiba Lorbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this madre. Gracias. Save water.